Whereas in Finland, we were used to be quite humble and saying that you, you should not try to kind of uh, make, a, make a number of yourself. Hey, Ville Tolvan, that's the digital guy. He talks digital. He knows digital. He works digital. Your best work and job insurance is to be known. Somebody starts to imitating or harassing you, it means that you really have reached something. I learned from from 10 years now in within social media and kind of personal branding experience that you can't guess what the audience likes. Hello, Villa. How are you doing? How's Italy? Hello, Petri. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm I'm in Piemonte, not not so close to the war zone, but between uh, Turin and, and Milano. So it's it's quite calm and cool actually here, getting better and better every day. And I guess the whole Europe is now getting ready to live with the virus side by side. Let's go back a bit in time. It's late 80s, you're 16 years old, and you find yourself in the uh, US. And you didn't actually arrive where you wanted to be. You wanted to be in Texas, but you, you just landed somewhere else. And pretty much the first person you meet is Hillary Clinton. What happened? Yes, I'm originally from Oulu, Finland, which is which is northern part city, uh, in the kind of middle or northern part of Finland. and, and uh, wanted to go to states to live the American dream uh, as an exchange student, and I had a friend who went to Houston and told all about cowboys and chicks and and and, and hot swimming pools and all those parties. So I really wanted to go to Texas, and where did I end up? Little Rock, Arkansas. Back then, the I think third most poorest uh, state in U.S. But it was good, and back in time, of course, that was the that 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 was the peak of the American dream from the movies, Wall Street, Top Gun, Working Girl. The whole American dream was alive and well. And Hillary Clinton was the lady uh, of the of the state for being next to Bill Clinton, who was governor back then. So the lady of the state, in a sense, met all the exchange students and, and kind of welcomed our, us all over the world to the, to the states. So I was, of course, watching all the girls and enjoying good weather uh, instead of politics. But I was there. I have a picture, but that, that's all. I, I can imagine that the life was a bit different from Oulu, which is pretty close to the Arctic Circle. And, and, and then you landed in opposite side of the world, more or less. Maybe the attitudes, culture, was there something, you know, which sort of stick to your mind or maybe define a bit your, you know, further years? Yes, of course. As I as I mentioned, that was the big era of the the great American dream movies and I I, I enjoyed all of them. You know, I still know the some of the wording for, for Wall Street, you know, body, money never sleeps and so on. So that was really the time. So, so I was quite thrilled actually to go back then to states, and the, the the standard of living was different even in Arkansas, with all the all the people having their own houses, couple of cars, uh, weather is pretty good, and all that. So it was all cool and new to the boy from Oulu, kind of paper city, which actually then became one of the major places for Nokia and Nokia R&D, but in my youth, it was a paper mill city. And the um, first thing that actually kind of got my attention was was the attitude towards success. Whereas in Finland, we were used to be quite humble and saying that you, you should not try to kind of uh, make, a, make a number of yourself and be a humble and, uh, you know, try your best and you will be... Uh, then, then kind of well received in a sense, but in states it was all different. They said, you know, if you reach the, the top of the trees, you reach the moon. 
And so the attitude towards success and being entrepreneur was totally different that I had learned in, in all of Finland. So it really changed my my thinking. And when I came back from the year in Arkansas, I was ready to go to business school and uh, start my, all my career, just like Buddy Fox in Wall Street. How old were when you founded your first company? I was. I have co-founded 15 different companies. So my first job was with a software company called QPR Software uh, at 95, right after the big recession in Finland. And I started there by going to the bank and uh, and uh, getting 20,000 Finnmarks, which is about four or five thousand euros and uh, taking a loan to actually invest to be one of the co-founders for the software company uh, developing management software like Balanced Core Card and Process Guides, Guides and all that. And um, I was kind of co-founder in a couple of companies, but I was actually a little bit over 30 when I founded my first 100% owned professional service company called Marketects. That was 2005. Now everybody wants to live uh, in a countryside and and I would say you probably are in a pretty much in the ideal place at this point, you know, you you're in the middle of a beautiful scenery and and you know sun is shining. You tried that already before. Was it around that time 2005 or something you you wanted to to go to Italy and and you know just leave it everything behind and, and yes. go to remote work yes you've done your homework actually i I've, i've tried to be global or mobile nomad for for several times the first attempt was 2005 as you mentioned we sold all our uh property and 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 kind of stuff back then and had a little money and moved to Milan. Uh, my wife had studied in university in Italy and spoke a little bit Italian. So we moved to Milan. But what happened back then was that I started getting a lot of job offers all over or all around the world. Nokia was big name back then. So I received job offers from China and uh London and Helsinki and Oulu and uh, it took only six months for us to actually return to Finland and, and me starting my own first company, Marketects. And uh, then 2010, five years after that, uh, I started kind of discussing, talking, advancing, consulting, digitalization where my aim was to become mobile and kind of move my consulting business into kind of onto a platform and, and kind of free myself from, from time and location. And what happened in 2010 then was that I got so busy on, on building digital network and, and consulting that I was actually kind of tied up to Helsinki And living in the city and so, so busy that there was no way I could imagine that I could uh, live on a remote or actually kind of central location as this. This is very close to France and Alps and wine and very easy to fly to anywhere in the world. So I, although we are in the countryside, I feel that we are actually in the in the, in the middle of everything. But then, this is the third attempt now. A year ago, we bought an old stone house from, from Piemonte in Jesus Cappuccino. And uh, now we're renovating it. And I'm doing board work and some consulting, advising and living here. Do you think there's uh, still hope for Airbnb and, and this type of a tourism, which I think you you basically building or renovating for? Oh, thanks for asking. Uh, one of my favorite kind of ideas is not back to the future, but back to the tomorrow. Tomorrow, and I think the crisis is like a perfect storm and, and an opportunity for us to really rethink everything 
what we do in business, what's the role of organization, how fixed our assets are, what's our scope on traveling and all that. So I think we're starting or in, or in the middle of the middle of a, a perfect storm and now we need to rethink everything and I don't think that anything will return as it was uh, but what will happen I think that we will be more interested in locations freedom uh, kind of standard of living, the lifestyles and the business models. And we have already, I think, learned that most of things we can do on these platforms and and really finally capitalize the digital investment in any business. And I think that's the key to think. I'm not thinking whether uh, Airbnb will become back, but I'm sure if you come here and visit us and you see the wine and food and weather and people, you love to spend time here. No matter whether it's business or pleasure. Do you think that people would actually stay for longer periods of times, not just for the weekend or the, you know, one week or two week holiday, but, you know, they would book you for like two months, you know, work there. And, and, you know, it's more like a temporary permanent, residents there for a while. Petri, you're really reading my mind. We already got an inquiry for two months, uh, rental, full house, everything kind of included for July and August. And the money wasn't issued. That was the that was part of the thing. So as I said, I think we could accommodate teams of doing co-creation or remote work or anything here. And I have to mention one of the kind of guiding principles I've had. I I went to the Athens, I think it was 2014 or something. It was late August or early September. And for some reason, it was raining all week on vacation there. And that's where, where, when, when I read the 4.0 work week by, by Tim Ferriss. And he had idea of these mini retirements and mini breaks during the work life and of course the story of for our work week was team getting uh, uh, getting really tired or or kind of burned himself away in a sense and then he moved to Europe to recover and noticed that when he took a little distance to his uh, previous routines the business actually got better. So I'm a big believer in digitalization and global tribes and uh, networks and platforms and all that. So I try to be part of that dream in a sense and and live the dream uh, alive. And I have to still say that now I'm working with five different companies and they all seem to be quite happy with the uh, kind of teams or whatever platform settlement we have right now. And I guess I can carry on for forever if I like like it this way. What will happen to the corporate offices? Are we ever going back to those? Maybe your place or similar facilities will become like uh, meeting places for people working from home mainly and then, you know, for project or periodically they will meet and, and be together for two weeks, four weeks, and, and you know, just to, to have some face time, quality time, and also maybe, you know, do some project work. Do you think that's becoming more or less like the new office? Well, the last two months won't change anything. It's a too short period of time of, of knowing what will happen. But I'm sure we, if we want, we can actually adjust the leadership culture and the business models actually to support local uh, or or kind of office and and remote work. Uh, what's interesting right now is that companies like Google and Twitter has said that their employees can continue working from home all this year, so full year will definitely change some of our behavior. And of course, when we look at the remote work, 
it's a leadership and culture challenge because the remote workers need to be treated the same way and we need the same social network support and, and of course control whether the work is conducted in offices or remote. So although evolution is quite slow, I think we will see more and more uh, born global companies and ideas and platforms and working from several separate locations will become partly a new standard. But of course, we all love to kind of have the social contacts and meeting people. But I think, Petri, next time we'll meet, we will meet, we'll go for beer and sauna and maybe some cold water. Why Sounds would, good. Yeah, why, why would we go for beer and sauna? Why would we meet in an office? I think office is something that we need to rethink. It's a relic. It's a relic. Maybe it was a temporary basis. You know, it, it was invented some, some, you know, I don't know, 100 years back. Yes, and, and you can go you back know. to the, yeah, you can go back to the Egypt and understand what are the meeting rooms are, which still are built so that one kind of talks and the other ones listens, like the you know the kind of Roman Empire kind of auditoriums, uh, which is which is sad in a way because I think we have more interactive and more balanced and more uh, kind of equal ways of communicating in on, on, on the digital platforms. But we need we need the physical connection and non, non-verbal communications which, which which isn't same even with the cameras. So we, we just I think it's the culture we need to adjust. A few weeks back uh, in the episode called There's No Control Z, I was talking to Joey in New York and, and he was um, communicating with teams around the world and, and mainly in the corporate world. And what he was experiencing was that um, the middle management and the employees in the obviously doing remote work, they were having a bit of issues with the calendar and, and realizing that, you know, previously you were just by the water cooler and, and you know, asking casually or something, or you just was, you were looking for your colleague and uh, see that, you know, the person is busy at the moment, so I will not, you know, disturb. But when you do that remotely, you just uh, need to book 15 minutes, you know, calendar time. And and when there's like uh, five, 10 people doing that, you just realize that, you know, those casual few minute talks actually occupied quite a bit of your day. Have you experienced similar kind of things or different kind of things in companies you're working with at the moment? I think the topic you're now touching could be called something like culture redesign, which is which is like, how do we take care of the direct and indirect communication and information sharing when we are not in the same place together? Uh, that's, a, that's a very interesting, interesting question. And, and what I've, what I've, kind of learned or experienced, first of all, is, is that I'm, I'm a lot more focused and prepared when everything is on calendar. Whether I have a good hair day or bad hair day, I'm always prepared for the meetings and, and that kind of brings value and quality to discussions because everybody needs to do the same. And on digital platforms, what we have now, you still have to do it so even in a ring or a group of people that one talks and other ones comment so it's different than than doing whiteboard consult uh, consulting or coaching and everybody's kind of discussing and throwing ideas fast it's it's different of course we have miro and those platforms that are trying to build those uh environments which are actually quite cool already but on the other hand what I've also noticed is that the when we, we tend to agree more when we communicate on digital platform because there's no like time or it's too hard to start arguing or questioning things. So I, at least I feel in the in the kind of digital platforms meetings that people want to get rid of them and want to get things done and, and move forward. So so we we. We lose some of the maybe so not so important data in a sense and opinions on the way, 
And I think when we get back to the offices or saunas or when we meet, we should dedicate those physical meetings for kind of well-being and opinions and second guessing and all that that isn't present on this kind of telcos world. The social well-being, after all, is, is the key. So how do we maintain it in these times? How do we pick up the silent signals we usually can, you know, when we are physically present, we can, you know, see a lot more than just the words? Well, we have to we 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 have to redesign the culture to support those. Whether it's a Slack channel for daily jokes, I've I've distributed a lot of COVID jokes and and memes just with my friends to kind of you know have some fun between the lines in a sense. And uh, we we need to kind of connect socially, emotionally. Uh, officially and non-officially and and we can't have official radio only that's like BBC World after World War II we can't go back to the uh, one one line one way communication so what we need to rethink is the culture and understand and make those uh, jokes and cultural things non-official things visible and say, hey, those are wonderful work and let's have fun now. That's why we also need those coffee breaks and uh, and gym things or yogas and all those in groups so that we, we kind of keep the culture going. What drives you? I've noticed even the last three months that I'm an entrepreneur, entrepreneurial spirit. I like to design and build things. I'm excited about future and times like these are a little bit uh, depressing and disappointing because I know that after the tsunami, there will be huge mess in the economy and all of that. But I also realize that the crisis, big crises are the best times to advanced advanced evolution and innovation not in a sense that you have all the money and time and resources in the world but if you can finance things everybody's definitely listening and this is very very good time to capitalize all the digital investments i think one of my uh kind of saddest thing you know kind of nightmares is what i what i kind of experience and and see in corporate life is that they have invested in cars and gasoline and commuting to the office expensive office space computers softwares internet connections you know software for viruses and all that and then we sit side by side taking all that cost in and and kind of live the analog and digital life or process side by side, which makes it very, very expensive and non-productive. That's why what I'm excited right now, what really tries me is the kind of innovation. And what I'm excited about right now is anything I put under virtual from virtual restaurants to virtual reality, uh, platform economy, uh, ecosystems, virtual business models. Uh, I'm now excited about disruption again, in a sense, because I think that now we have the time and momentum for that. And COVID horrible thing kind of forced us to actually test test drive and 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 make the proof of concept that we can actually live in a totally different world where where Amazon takes care of our daily needs and then we can choose our life and style wherever we like it or however we want it even many times a year looking back y'all 
things what you've been doing, I see there's a few loops, uh, 360 degrees, and, and one of them was pretty much like 10 years ago. You were kind of sick of sick and tired of the you know the corporate world and you wanted to be a freelancer and just be free and do things and it was not virtualization at the time but it was the digitalization which found you or you found i don't know actually you have to tell me which way it went and and then quite a lot of things happened can you tell a bit about you know that process and and you know what you learned i have to start from the dot-com boom because Back then, I was I was working with telcos, and then I became uh, co-founder and CEO uh, in a TV production company called Intervisio, which was internet television, Intervisio. And uh, what we did back then, right after the, the dot-com boom, was was that we created TV formats, which were back then called cross-media concepts or cross-media TV where we actually created TV shows that drove people to the websites and then to the SMS and mobile services 20 years ago. So the the world and the business models weren't ready for cross-media and the kind of unified messaging back then. But what I, what I learned uh, was how people will or started using multiple platforms and how people behaved on mobile and, and, and desktops and so on. So actually, after the dot-com boom 2005-2010, I tried to sell the idea of cross-media kind of communities and ecosystems to corporate world and even industri- global industrial companies where I tried to sell the idea that they, they would have R&D co-creation with clients and kind of communities for uh, for different innovation processes. I, I tried to sell Nokia idea of Nokia TV where they would have internal CNN kind of mobile clo- mobile and global TV channel on internal communication. But that was that was all too early, and I really kind of frustrated myself and got tired of, tired of, tired of of it and. And then 2010, I said, okay, let's do something else. And uh, of course, it took about a year or less when I started evangelizing and, and living the digital again, because I, I tried to get rid of the digital, but it didn't <laughs> let me go in a sense. So what I started back then in 2010, I started blogging on villetolvan.com and I I started to make my work visible, which is one of my key lessons in business life is make your work visible, Uh, whether you're in photography or tech or anything. Just surround yourself with the stuff and make your work visible. Create something on any platform and for whether it's singing or pictures or text or anything, do it. And uh, so I started blogging, which is one of my best best ideas. I didn't know back then. My first blog said that I don't think that people have time to read other people's blogs. But anyhow, it became quite popular, and uh, I was quite successful in blogging. And then I had some some other friends and visitors uh, writing on my platform. So. It became small community. And then I said, I think 2012, that let's dedicate this community to digitalization. So it became Digitalist Network. And then we copied some of TED Talks and, and best seminars and started running uh, big events in Finland with kind of digital broadcasting and a strong social media support on the side, Twitter mainly. Uh, people may tweeting from the from the live events so i was back with the kind of cross-media platform and what then happened it became quite big phenomenon and because i i was so ambitious that i didn't want to end it up within the events and seminars i then sold the kind of brand to a, a 
Finnish tech company called Ixenos, former uh, Nokia subcontractor, which then become, became a public company called Digitalized Group. And then I spent two, three years there working first as a CDO and then CEO, and then stayed in a year, uh, for a year in a board. And now I'm free and back in the square one again. A lot of people are now 10 years back in the situation you were, you know, after the financial crisis and what you just described. You know, they need to get to the, the world to know who they are and they need to find their customers, they need to find their audience, they need to do all that digitally. They just cannot meet people anymore, they are at their homes, so they need to set up blogs, they need to find their audience somehow. What are the advice and, and some of the experiences, maybe some failures you would like to share with people and, and you know, say, please don't do this. And, and this is probably one of the best ideas you could ever have. Well, I, yeah, I, I realized that. And, and in becoming ones, we have even, even more people who will be out of jobs or, or just frustrated with the situation and they try to start creates, creating something. And for me, back back 20 years, I've always followed music business because and the kind of rock stars and the, the bands, because music was one of the first business models that that disrupted. The CD format went out and the, the, the revenues and the profits or the revenues were kind of redistributed between the between the value chain. So when when the music music presenters, stars and bands lost the CD sales, what they did, they started touring. They started touring live and to do that, they also started using all the digital channels, taking photos, telling their stories, telling where they're going next, asking people in Austin to tell tell their friends that next gig will be in Houston. Uh, Metallica, which is one of the bands for me from the 80s and my youth, was one of the companies that created big Metallica TV and started uh, broadcasting rehearsals and any kind of material from their tour life so that being part of Metallica family was being part of their band's life and being able to follow that. Same thing happened in formulas and in and, and some other sports. So what they did was what I said earlier, and that's my key point, they made their work and life visible instead of trying to selling anything online or trying to catch the audience, they became solar power systems or something for, you know, the kind of, they started gathering the energy from the live meetings and audience and making their life and work visible. And that was exactly what I did with, with villetolvanen.com and then with Digitalist. And I don't, know who thinks the same I do about future or business or digitalization, but I go to a street corner with my small guitar or iPhone and I start communicating. I start telling my views about life and future and business and I find the audience. And that's, I think, exactly what everybody needs to do right now is to become small lighthouses of their missions. Instead of trying to be smart or trying to say, hey, now we need to discuss virtual or we need to discuss artificial intelligence or or, or any cool stuff, don't become artificial intelligence experts. Start telling your uh, perception of the world and business and find your audience, find your people and and then create something. During those years, you were really active uh, in all the, all the media possible, Twitter included, and you, you had a bit of a 
troll experience and and you needed to have some internal thoughts and feelings and experiences settled with that as well can you say something about the yeah it's one? it's it's a good question again not everybody's going to like what you start doing if you become a lighthouse of of your own vision um First of all, I have to say about being active. I was really active because I I made my life class box in a sense that when I met with people, I I said thank you in Twitter. It was nice to meet. So I made my network visible. Uh, when I had workshops or meetings with clients, I wrote a small, small blogs about the matter. We discussed like, hey, Petri, thank you. From today, we could actually now publish a small blog about culture redesign because we just discussed that I could take and t- spend 10 minutes and, and put it on my blog. Please put it in English. Yes, uh, I can do that. But I mean, you know, <laughs> we, we just created something. But what I when, when I make things visible, when I experience something, I try to record it and publish it. So it becomes visible to all the others and it's not any of the right stuff or wrong stuff it's the lighthouse in the dark that starts kind of messaging people that, hey, Ville Tolvan, that's the digital guy. He talks digital. He knows digital. He works digital. And one very important thing before we come go to the trolls and, and, and all that is that I never, never did any separate or additional communications. I just made my workshops blogs, my blogs, keynotes, my keynotes, podcasts, uh, and those became articles by journalists. So I did my stuff. And that goes in a way back to the musicians and artists, even in the visual arts, they paint or they take take photos and distribute those. Uh, The only thing that people do that they usually present when asked and what I ask is to present every day, live your life and and make make a story about it. And if you want to become a brand, I was actually I go write, wrote a book about like personal branding, uh, which we, where we say that that's your best work and job insurance is to be known and have a have a name in a sense. But when you start making your make, when you start making noise, or you become a voice, not everybody's gonna like it. It's the same situation. What happens in every episode of American Idol or The Voice of Finland is that we see somebody singing for thirty seconds, and we immediately know whether we like it or not. And we should not worry about that because no one's gonna like. A, all of us or nobody's, everybody's not going to like all our stuff anyhow. And those people who are not our fans or so-called fans, they are not going to come to our funeral and we're not going to share retirement home or do business together. That's okay. You don't have to be agreed by everyone. You have to live your life and, and, and do it for yourself and for your own mission. And those trolls and peoples, and I was objected quite clearly for becoming kind of the, becoming the, the digitalist in a sense. And many people said that, who is that guy? I've done websites for 20 years, and what is he talking right now? Uh, so, so there was there was some objection and and some dislike also my class box branding and being so visible in the media and social channels. So, so those are important. I always say that those are the people that kind of coaches you to be better. You, those are the people you can say, hey, let me show you how good I am and what I will do next. Watch me doing this. And it's also very hard to get attention without those, those critics. So in a sense, we need those critics to understand that we actually are affecting people and the communication is effective. 
If nobody says anything, we're not making a point. I recall it took a while for you to embrace the critics and, and those who are sort of mocking you. Uh, but then, then you sort of accepted it and started to use uh, as uh, in your advantage. And at least once you were you were tweeting and saying that, hey, that the blog post I was writing today, it's a bit confusing and messy. And I, I really need this this person to actually make it really witty and make it better. So please, can can you make it a better version of what I could come up with? Yeah, well, there, there was those were the early times within the social media, and and when the so I was a case where I got this alter ego. I'm Ville Tolvanen, and somebody started writing Tolle Vilvanen blogs and and distributing and kind of reimagining me. Uh, I was still doing a lot of keynote business back then, and and some of those people were harassing like company meetings and events, so they were like destroying the Twitter feed and all that. So it became, at some time, it became obstacle for me in a sense that when I when I was interviewed for, for different uh, events or hosting a keynote or throwing a keynote, I was asked, like, how will the, uh, how, how will those accounts in a way behave? Yeah, behave. And I couldn't say, no more than than uh, actually that I don't know, but for sure they will increase the interest in the matter. So so in a sense it was it was it was really really kind of uh, affecting my business in some sense. But on the other hand, it made me a lot more interesting, and and the followers, the, the sizes of audiences grew in a level that I would not have reached without having those people uh, doing that. So I have to be kind of thankful and uh, it was pain- painful at times and it was a kind of growing experience. Uh, so, but I've learned a lesson. I, I, that's why I talk about artists and rock stars and, and painters that no one's ever going to like everybody's art and if we if we understand that in the beginning we are well better off and better built for for the critics which will of course always affect our feelings what is your advice for someone who is experiencing this for the first time words hurt and and you know you there's somebody who is sort of uh, stalking or doing something publicly which you don't really appreciate you know is, is it better to mute block what's the what's your advice well first uh first i could say con- congratulations you're famous <laughs> in a sense <laughs> because if somebody starts to imitating or harassing you it means that you really have reached something uh i'm muting nowadays everything i i see some critics i don't bother i I'll get politicians. I sometimes go to the websites that discuss politicians and then I see what people think about prime ministers and say, hey, I'm well off. I have a couple of people who spend their lives bullying my stuff or or lowering lowering kind of my my work, but I'm 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 glad I'm not a politician. So it's quite easy to mute. I'm not I don't follow them. I don't I don't spend any time thinking about them in a way somebody just asked me today like okay how do you create your uh, visuals and writings and titles and all that and i said hey i do one thing at the time and when i write blogs the most important thing for me is to write write out one idea and then put a good title or kind of idea around one idea and then publish it I, and I never think about readers. I never think about whether the idea is good or bad or high or low quality. I let the audience decide. I learned from, from 10 years now in, within social media and kind of personal branding experience that you can't guess what the audience likes. All my biggest hits and all my success has been part of the 
chain, part of the experience, part of the flood. I can't control or decide who's going to like it. And that also comes from the music. You know, when you're singing in the street corner or doing your first kicks in a pub, you can't decide who the fans are going to be and whether what kind of audience will enjoy the music. So you can't f- control your future. You can't decide the audience. All you can do is put out your best. What makes you happy? I said earlier that I'm an entrepreneur, so I like to achieve things. I like to plan things. I like something what I learned in business school is that management is planning, leading, organizing, and controlling of all activities. So I like to do planning. I like to do, I like to organize things. I like to lead processes and I love analytics. I love numbers. I love to follow. I'm, I'm so fascinated still with digital platforms and internet that I keep following all the numbers in Facebook groups, LinkedIn, uh, Google Analytics, all by just for the learning experience to understand how the communication actually works and how we can uh, create things and affect people. You were describing that, uh, and, and some even quoted you publicly saying that you like the digitalist evangelist, uh, or evangelist of digital in, in Finland at least. Is there is there enough uh, space or oxygen for other people? I mean that you know now everybody needs to start to have their own tiny brand or find their audience. Is that actually even possible if everyone? becomes their own brand. Yeah, like sharing the Zoom, Zoom channel for 10,000 uh, digitalists. Um, let's go back to the music. When when music was disrupted by digital platform, one of the key phenomena was the long tail. Uh, and the same thing happened with with startups and digital innovation, there was a big long tail of things around the big ones. So so the new wasn't born in a big way that there would be a third player in the market, but there would be a long, long tail of small players. I believe that there's space for a lot, a lot, lot people and a lot of different roles. Uh, if we would take, say, data, who personally owns data in Finland or Sweden or London, you can't really come up with a long list of names. So so the same thing what happened in music, there's, there's so many subcultures and something, same thing happens with technology and digital is that there's there's so many different playgrounds you can establish or run that you can actually do a lot enough for your own business to actually get the attention, find the partners, find the customers, and live happily ever after. So I think that everybody should every every everybody should start their own channel in a sense, and keep doing the job, and also keep finding the tribe they belong to. It doesn't have to be massive; it has to be part of the business in a sense. As I said, I never done, although they say that I'm the evangelist, I never done separate communication. I just speak out what I've learned or what I do or, or what we have created. I'm kind of visible in a sense. Of course, it means that I communicate a lot more than the average Uh, entrepreneur does, but I that's the way I have reached the standard of living being Piemonte, Italy, and still being able to finance my businesses, finding the clients, satisfying clients, and finding new jobs all the time. So to put it in a word, it's about sharing. You're basically sharing the journey you are at. It's not about... Uh 
preaching to people, telling what to do. It's just about that you, you just uh, let other people know what you're doing and what you're thinking at this point. Yeah, making your work visible. That's the key thing. And I have to go, I have to elaborate a little bit on that because this is so funny to me that often when we discuss this, these things, I have to go back to the, the birth of World Wide Web and the internet. Like, at what's the... What's the kind of idea of internet? Connecting computers to share data, which of course means in advanced and mobile platforms and digital connections means sharing user experiences, sharing people's ideas and values and value. So actually, when we started preaching digital, we had a saying, sharing is caring. Where we meant that, you know, if you want the other people on their computers, offices, and living rooms to share, see the information or learn the information, you should be sharing things. So I connect making things visible and creating your own voice with the sharing is caring principle. We are as you become the lighthouse, blinking lighthouse for any vision or idea you have, it takes a little bit of time and there may be objection, but then you become an expert in that field. And finally, and and sooner or later, you'll, you'll you'll start living by doing that. It becomes your profession. And it's the same thing what you have to do, whether you're formula driver or a singer or take take photos or anything, you just have to repeat thousands and thousands of times and keep sharing. Within the last year, you've been starting to take at least baby steps towards something new. Maybe you don't know yourself either what's, what's going to come at the end of that, but uh, you've been throwing some ideas, discussing with your community and people, and one of the terms come up by looking at what you've been writing is a virtual activist. Yes. What does that mean? Virtual activist is something, uh, and you're right, I'm, I'm kind of rebuilding myself once again. Uh, actually, my accountant said that I have, I have journeys of trips from five to th- uh, three to five years so I should build my business model so that, that the topic, in a sense, uh, lasts for 1,000 or 1,500 days, uh, which is, by the way, very similar to, say, David Bowie, who even changed his name and character totally during his career to, to find the next era, in a sense, or start a new era, uh, which, which is fantastic, of course, that, you know, the guys bold enough to introduce a new name and go to a live TV show and say, hey, I'm Chicky Stardust or, or, or something like that. So anyhow, um, virtual activist is something that I look into the post-COVID corona world and ask myself self and community that is it so that last 20 years we spent on distributing mobile phones, laptops, and connections, then that was called digital channels or digitalization in some sense. Is it now that we start virtualizing business models and ecosystems on platforms so that we can actually capitalize the investment we've done already? As I mentioned earlier, I see so much analog processes with digital channels or or computers on, on side by side. And I'm thinking, why do we spend so much money traveling events, physical uh, matters in a sense that couldn't be find a better balance? And I think finding a better balance with virtual outsourced uh, ecosystems shared revenue or resources and so could be something that we could call virtual 
virtual restaurants or virtual uh, business models or virtual platforms. And that's, if I'm thinking about how we could activate the virtual face of the world, what we need is to become activists in that field and as companies and their owners and boards that could be actually virtualize some of the business or business models during the next two, five years to actually create better and more sustainable world uh, version of the company and the business. And in that sense, not go back to the future, but back to the tomorrow by returning tomorrow on with different ideas and different kind of systems and different platform for the business, which we already are doing. What is the most radical idea you could give to a CEO or entrepreneur running a company? I think most radical thing you can do in any business is take a clean sheet of paper, white paper, and have a so-called zero meeting or workshop and say, hey, let's draw or design this company as if we would start it today. And I've done that practice with several companies and some owners. And uh, the fact is that if you draw the company design as we, if we would start it today, the picture is totally different than the existing operations usually. And then we can ask, why are we running these legacy things? Why are we in silos? Why do we have processes? Why are we organized the way we are if we would not do it, if we would start the company today? And it's a scary thing. I've, I've also seen a lot of rejection. I see a lot of uh, CEOs saying that I don't want to do it. I don't want to draw the picture because I know how much different it would be. And I don't I like the idea of the work that needs to be done. Change is different, but I, th- uh, no, sorry, change is difficult, but I think we should always embrace the change and say that let's hug future and tomorrow and make make the better version of the company and ourselves every day, every year, and all the time. As we do in sports or arts and culture, we try to improve things. We never say that the last painting was the best I can do. We always say, let's do even better. What is your favorite word? Virtual. What is your least favorite word? Don't fix it if it ain't broken. What turns you on creatively, spiritually or emotionally? New. What turns you off? We know. What is your favorite curse word? Fuck. (laughs) What sound or noise do you love? I love the uh, Italian birds singing in Piemonte. They're very loud, they're very noisy. You could be disturbed by that, but it's a lovely thing. The summer is here already. What sound or noise do you hate? Uh, People fighting to get into the plane or trying to... uh, getting to a restaurant without reservation. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Oh, I would love to build houses or, or, or do interior design. What profession would you not like to do? Teacher. If you could be a co-founder of any startup at any era, which one would you choose? Well, I never thought about that before, but uh, just instantly came to my mind that, of course, I would like to be picking apples in California. Thank you, Will. It's been a total pleasure. 
Thank you, Petri. It's been awesome time, and I think it's it's very nice to share actually thoughts like how we're thinking at the moment during the COVID crisis. It's a it's definitely a momentum and start for something new. So it's it's good to be part of this. Thanks.